0: Welcome to Arpini, this is Saratova Best, Parsha Truma, Becoming Wealthy. Should we want to be wealthy? Is it right to want to be wealthy? Is it wrong to, be want, to want to be wealthy? Um, where do we stand in our whole, whole relationship with money, Gashmias, things, gold, silver? What should our relationship be? And the question is, did it change over the generations of Pitera? not according to the world? But Alpitaira, of course we know we're in a situation now where constantly see these videos where they say, you know, anybody can become wealthy and anybody can become a billionaire and that's what democracy is based on, et cetera, et cetera. And I used to be in I used to be, uh, $500,000 in debt and now, and now I'm earning this much. So we understand that as given our relationship with money has really changed over the generations. But the question is, Alpitaira, what should our relationship be with money? So, and what does that have to do with the Parsha? The Parsha is Truma. And Parsha, P- Parashat Truma is about we build a Mishkan. What do we build this Mishkan with? We come out of Mitzrayim. We've been enslaved for 200 years. We're in the boot camp that's preparing us to make what's called the Dirvatafen, to make the entire, the physical world a holy place. And, through Eretz Yisrael. So in order to do that, you've got to take all the stuff of the world and then you filter it into a Mishkan. This Mishkan is an interface between Hashem and us and the world. But the Mishkan is made of gold, silver, copper, and all these other things. This interface which binds us all together enables us to bring Hashem down here and us there all of that, this Mishkan in the desert, it, it's comprised of all of the material. Now, you could say in a way, we're also, we're in the desert of the nations now. We're really, you can feel it. At this point, politically, we're wandering around in this kind of desert-like scorpion snakes, crazy stuff coming at us in the desert of the nations. And in the midst of this journey to get finally to the end goal to the promised land, to the base of in this journey to get there through this craziness and wildness, Hashem says, have a Mishkan, a portable sanctuary, and I will be there, and you will travel with it, and it will travel with you. And although you're traveling through the insanity of the world, you don't have to really actually be part of the world. You're actually in a separate bubble called the Mishkan, and although it's not like people hang around inside the Mishkan, but we all the, the Mishkan would travel with us in the, in the desert in the Midbar, and so we were the we for we, we were the bubble surrounding the Mishkan. So it's one huge package: the Jewish people surrounding the Mishkan, Hashem is within the Mishkan. It's made of gold, silver, copper, etc., and we go. And we move as a unit. Through what? The wilderness of this crazy world. But there we are in our own island. So, in order to create this island, this Mishkan that we all surround, it says, you have to take, there are 15 different substances that have to be brought to the Mishkan. Physical things. Gold, silver, copper, precious stones, certain wood, certain um, color, blue colored, red, wool, etc. And they're all listed. Fifteen different things are brought. The Rebbe asks, the Lubavitch Rebbe asks a very poignant question. Listing the order of everything that you have to bring to the Mishkan, the first word is Zahav. Gold. So there's a big question, as we said. A question is brought up. Fifteen different things. How come gold is the first one mentioned? (coughs) Is it the most plentiful? Nope, obviously not. There was a lot more copper in the Mishnah than there was gold. There's a lot more copper available. Okay, how about the most precious? No, gold is not the most precious because precious diamonds and precious stones, they're way more expensive than gold. So it can't be in order of preciousness. So what is the, how do we figure it out? How, if we look at these 15 substances and we try different ways of categorizing, we always come up with the same question. Why is gold, Zahav, the first one that started? And take from your from cells gold, silver, and copper. So um, that's what we're going to find out. Um And and first there is, and the way the order is, first there's gold, then silver, then copper. And then most people had that. And then all the other things not everybody had. Um, Keles, Shani, Izim, Iris, different kinds of skin, all these kinds of things. And then it says, Because not everybody had and not everybody had so much and ateshitin this this wood, whoever found, whoever had. So, again, we're trying to figure out why gold first. Um, Bottom line, the fact that gold, Zahav, is the first of all the donations listed to the Mishkan is for the following reason. Building the Mishkan Who should do it? Who did it then? Because this is a a powerful question. Who did it? Who was commanded to build the the Mishkan? Every single Jew. Also women, even children, had some part in the donation to the Mishkan. And the command to build the Mishkan, every single Jew has the obligation to do it. The Raman says, Everybody is obligated to build and to add his, his, himself of himself and of his money, men and women. Everyone, your job, what are you here for? Put yourself into building the Mishkan, building the mikdash. That is your lifelong work. And our lifelong work, obviously, is ultimately, what are we doing here? Building the third base of mishkan. So, here's the question. What is this Mishkan? Wow, that's what everybody's doing. That's what everybody's involved in. Why is it such a big thing? What is the big deal? So it says that through the mishkan was achieved a chiddush misla. Imagine a wondrous novelty, something that never happened ever before, and maybe never since then. It didn't happen until then. What was this wondrous chiddush? In a bias, the Hiddush was to have a physical building, a physical house where Hashem's presence is residing. When you think about Hashem, maybe at least at that time, I don't know how it worked in the rest of the world with the way they worshipped the, whatever deities they worshipped, but I'm going to assume that they felt like their deities, Lahavdil, were spiritual beings. Even if the truth is today, when you hear the world talking, sometimes you can take the, to be quite honest, you can take these business courses and they're all started to, starting to lean towards something deeper rather than, we're not just here to teach you how to be successful in business, but, and they, they say the following. Um... I first sort of they said like this, at first I used to be uncomfortable because I'm a business coach to tell people that I have, that I'm also a very spiritual person. That's how they call it, a spiritual person. Meaning their feeling that there's something bigger than just making money is called spirituality. And so they, they, they call it, there's my, there's my physical life. And then there's my spiritual life. That's as far as they have gone. The only place where you'll see that it's one piece is in Tyra. The world certainly hasn't... They're doing pretty well in catching up. They didn't catch up to that yet. Because only in Tyra do we understand it's all one thing. So when we reach up to Hashem, we're not being spiritual when we learn Hasidis, Chassidus is not the study of the spiritual world. It's possible that you can say that Kabbalah is the study of the spiritual realities, the higher spiritual reality. But Chassidus is the study of is the study of the essence of all things. Not the, it's not spiritual. Hasidis is learning about godliness, not spirituality. Spirituality is the stuff up there as opposed to the world, the stuff down here, which is physicality. Remember Gashmius and Ruchnius, And then people will say, you know, it's better to be Ruchni than Gashmi. No, it's not. says it's better to be Ruchni than Gashmi. It's better to be spiritual than physical. It's better to focus more on the spirituality than physicality. Not if you're Jewish. Not if you're Jewish. And there are lots of ways that I can explain it. It's not better to be spiritual than physical. Rather, it's not better to be um, focusing on the spiritual rather than the physical. It's better to be focusing on the godliness within everything. That means the godliness within your active davening, the godliness within your cooking up a soup. In each of those activities, there's there's a there's a, a, a reaching out and uniting with Hashem through each and within each of those activities. Which one's stronger? I I don't know. But it's not about oh so just Davan a whole day, just learn just learn Torah whole day. So who's going to cook? I don't know. You know I don't know. The Not now. Maybe in the Maish Mashiach, that's the way it's going to be. Although probably, if you ask me, the way I understand it is the act of cooking a soup will be like a a, a living mimer. So it will be one piece. It's not, okay, from now on, we're never going to cook anymore. And we won't even know. We won't even take time to eat. And we certainly, you know, won't have buttons sewn on our jackets or we won't have to sew a button on our jacket, but we will be learning all day. It's probably going to be a living, learning experience in which the sewing of the button is literally living, not just learning the mimer with your head, but living the mimer. So the chidosh of this, that you're sewing a button and you're living the mimer through the button sewing experience, the chidosh is that it began with the mishkan. I mean, it began in Matantaira. But you saw it visibly in the Mishkan that was built in the year 2448, from the beginning of time. It was a physical building made of gold, silver, coffers, precious stones, wood, all these things. And within these physical substances put together in a specific way that Hashem decreed, Hashem said, this has now become my home. I am, with, I am in this place. I'm in the gold, I'm in the silver, I'm in the copper, I'm in the wood, I'm there. That's why, we, hence what I'm saying. Which one's better, being spiritual or physical? Hashem says, well, you know, we do both. Because really, otherwise, if the basis of Yiddishkeit were, what I said, you know, better to be spiritual than physical, Hashem would not have then broken his own rule. He can't tell us better to be spiritual than, than physical and then say, hey guys, um, go, in other words, at Martin and Tyra, we received the Tyra, and then we, you know, had a little uh, breakdown with the golden calf. Hashem could have said, okay, in order to fix up what you've done, to do on what you've done with the golden calf, I want you to sit, you know, only sleep three hours a night and just sit and learn Torah, and do deep meditation for 15 hours a day. And reach out to me, and etc., and just do deep learning for 15 hours a day. Hashem did not say that. He said, how do you fix what you did wrong at Matan which was then, you know, after Matan then you served the golden calf. How do you fix that? Because the golden calf was the opposite of Matan How do you fix that? He said, go get, you know, all that gold and silver that I told you to collect when you were coming out of Ms. and I insisted you didn't want to collect it, and I insisted that you go, I made a, I made a plague of darkness, said Hashem. And in this plague of darkness, you could see and they could not see. And I told you, you have to go into every cupboard and every drawer and every closet and every, uh, you know, under the bed, <laughs> plastic, you know, wooden container and look everywhere and find where they hide. All of their money, their gold, their silver, their cups find it. don't take it, but look for it, find it, and then go home, and we did, and then, shortly after that, after the Bacchu Bayrus, the plague of the firstborn, and Pharaoh begged us to leave, then Hashem said, mm, not leaving, you guys are not leaving." which has the gold and silver. All the sparks of holiness from the entire world, all this gold and silver and precious stuff, is stuff that was funneled from the entire world into Mitzrayim. And all the sparks of holiness have been embedded, are, are embedded in that gold and silver that was funneled from the entire world. that the people brought from the whole world when they wanted food, they brought it to Mitzrayim, gave over their gold and silver, and took fast food instead. All the sparks of holiness are embedded in that gold and silver and all that money. You must take it. Not because there's really anything to buy in the the desert. There wasn't anything to buy. But your job has been to be in this triumph with those sparks and then when the moment comes and you be properly trained, when the moment comes, then you take it all with you And take all those sparks of holiness that that came from the entire world and build a home for me in the midst of the desert out of this stuff, gold, silver, etc. That's what I want you to do. And when we resisted, Hashem said, don't resist, you have to do it. You can't leave without it. This is one of the reasons you were sent there. So we had to do it, and then when we walked through, then when we miraculously went through the Red Sea, the Yamsus, and the Midrims followed up, and they came to an end. That evil power came to an end as they were following us through the Yamsus, the Red Sea. When the whole scenario was over, they had a lot of money on them when. Why somebody, you know, jumping, why somebody is jumping on their chariots, if, you know, enemies, evil people, evil, evil mission are running after us to pursue us. Why they have so much money on them when they're doing that? Maybe it's just their, their carriages and the way they went. They were just packed up with gold and silver. And it all got washed up on the banks of the Yamsu after that nation was destroyed by Hashem. And at that point, Hashem said, collect it, collect as much as you can, just keep collecting, and you have to take it with you. And then at a certain point, Hashem said, now stop, and now we travel. He said, well, there's still more, you know, stop, and now we travel. So we had collected, I guess clearly, all the sparks of holiness were embedded in exactly as much as we collected. And probably what was left over that we didn't collect at the Yamsuf of the, of the money and gold and silver probably was devoid of sparks, I'm assuming. I think. And so we took it with us, and after Matin Taira, Hashem said, now you use all that stuff to build in Mishka. And that will be my home, down here in this physical world. Because, said Hashem, The last time that there was a big mess up, which was through Adam and Kava, and then other other big mess ups in the generations after that, I, said Hashem, was pushed out of the world. The world became way too evil for me to be able to be in it. So I just had to keep receding from one level to another, higher and higher, till the seventh rakia, because I couldn't be in the world anymore. It was so impure. And then Tzadikim brought me down level after level back into this world. This time, said Hashem, I am not leaving this world. This time, I'm saying build me a Mishkan. I will remain permanently in this Mishkan. Even if you mess up, I will be within the Mishkan and not leaving the world. This time I'm staying with you guys down here in the gold and in the silver and in the copper, and in the precious stones, and the wood, and all of that. That's the Chiddush of the Mishkan. A physical place. And the Navi says, um, one of the Naviim says, need um, to figure out which Navi. Okay, not sure. Ashamay, ishnei Hashamayim lo The heavens and all of the heavens and the heavens cannot contain you, or you can really contain your presence, Hashem. And this physical house made out of gold and silver can? The Neidaiti of Ne'ezra. Very perplexing. Hashem, you're so huge, so to speak that you can't even be contained in the loftiest heavenly, highest heavenly realms. Only this house, this building, made out of gold and silver and money and stuff and wood and specific things with specific proportions in a specific way. Here you can be contained and you can't be contained in all the most lofty spiritual worlds. Wow! Now that's a building! This Mishkan. It's pretty amazing. It accomplishes something that cannot be accomplished anywhere else in any other way. So, of course, the question is who's going to build such a building? It's got to be very lofty, very holy people among the Jewish. It's going to be somebody Jewish, and it's surely going to be very lofty people that have the ability to make such a house, create such a house and build such a house that the Shechina can actually live in, reside in, and be be visible in, be experienced in. And the truth is about the basic building of the Mishkan, it was done through B'tzaloh, and he was filled with Ruach Elohim, as it says in Vayaka. And it was according to the Hayraz, the, the direction of Maish Benu, who was told exactly to the detail by Hashem. And Hashem said, whatever, you know, I'm going to show you exactly and you're going to build it this way. And Maishra told it to Bitzala and everything was done. It was really Hashem saying, do it like this, 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 this. So there was the builder, but on the one hand, it was Deinu and Bitzala, Bitzala who, who, who built it. But on the other hand, those who donated to it were all the plain old Mister Misses Miss, you know, men, women, and children. Plain old simple Jewish men, women, and children. How's that possible? We just explain the magnitude of this mishkan. There is no counterpart to it, obviously, in all of in all of reality. I mean, let's just backtrack for a second. Why do we think, you know, that it says in the Navi, and as we've seen politically, that all the nations um, converged against Yerushalayim? Yerushalayim is the place where the Beis HaMegzish is, and the Beis HaMegzish Shlishi will be. And the Beis HaMegzish Shlishi is an extension of the Mishkan. Essentially, the Mishkan is, is within the Beis HaMegzish Ashlishi. It's all there, underground. It's in Shemayim and also the kingdom of the Basin of the there underground. It's all ready to be all, you know, put in place by course, Supporting nations of the world oppose it. This is a kind of reality that they cannot relate to. It's completely, it, it blows apart their whole understanding of what life is. It's a, such an, much cleaner, purer, holy frequency they're not ready for it. they're thrilled about you know we don't want to say stuff when they when they when they smell that level of holiness, they can't take it and the thing that was so difficult for the for us as hidden among the nations all through the generations is again, we said they can relate to being spiritual. You know, you have your everyday life, and then you're spiritual. But these Jews, and with their Mishkan, yes, and their Beisam Migdash, they insist on being spiritual in everyday life in the midst of where, right there where we are, on our very streets. How dare they? How dare they? I remember when I was just becoming religious, I worked in a computer store, and I came back from lunch one day, and um, one of the workers said, "I don't remember." Maybe the worker asked me, "Well, why are you, you know, why do you have to look for kosher food or something?" And he said, "You know, I make a business." Uh, a non-Jewish worker, and he said, "I make a point of, of uh, I believe that, you know, you shouldn't really mix religion with everyday life." And I said. Well, that's what Judaism is all about, specifically mixing it all together. It is a mix. It is one unit. It's just like, okay, you know what? I have to get to work. Let's talk to somebody else. <laughs> right? It's just, talk China. It's not a reality they can relate to. So here this Mishkan is the embodiment of that. You need some creature from outer space. To be able to build such a Michigan with such an enigma, such a a a, a, re, a a kind of a structure with a shen in it, in in the middle of the desert of a nation, you know, on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, so to speak, right there. You know, when we go out and we do all these things, you know, oh, well, let's blow cipher, you know, in Ello, right there in the middle of, you know, like, how, where are those tanks? know, hey, are you Jewish? You want to put on shillings? It's not somewhere in the back room of a shul. It's on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Okay, so the person's given a little bit of privacy. Come into the Mitzvah tank. And sometimes not. You start comfortable right on the street. Like, oh, wait, well, you're Jewish. Oh, hi, you're Jewish. Do you like travel Campbell? You know, put on film. In the middle of the street? In the middle of the desert of the nations? A Mishkan? What is it? What is a Mitzvah tank? A Mishkan is in the middle. Of the desert of the nation. So in the middle of the desert. Manhattan is a wild, crazy place. A little less wild now, maybe because it's so empty there's nothing happening there. Tone down a bit. But, and, and a Jew is going to put on filling? Imagine you're walking down the street, fifth avenue, and you're saying a capital filling. The world should, the world used to scream in his indignation plus plus. When they saw a Jew, they figured, ah, that Jew, he's probably thinking to kill him out of this world. We don't want him here. We don't want God in this physical world. That's what they said. And our job, great, is to bring God into this physical world. So, again, we're coming back to that. Who was able to build such a Mishkan? It's such a revolutionary, it's a Kiddush Nifla. Now, of course, we always stop this year on the word Nifla, because this is the year of Tavshin Teala, Teishnot, or Therennus. So this word Nifla, we're in the year when this Kiddush of Apella is being unfolded. And really what we see happening at this point is The whole world is turning into a Mishkan. It's no longer just, you know, we're going to build a Mishkan in the middle of the the desert. Yeah, we are. But this Mishkan is going to fill the entire world. This desert, this wild, crazy scorpion snakes kind of a place. You know, we're not going to go into it now, but what unholy forces snakes represent and and scorpions and all this, different kinds of unholy and unholy things. We're here to expand the Mishkan to fill up the entire world. How do we see it happening? The world is struggling with truth. The Mishkan is a place of open truth. It's stretching to fill the whole world. The world is... All the pus is seeping out of the world. All All the evil is just coming out of the pores of the world quickly. It's just draining out in front of our eyes. Probably because on some level, it senses, this is my thought, on some level, it's probably because the Mishkan is expanding to fill the whole world, the, the world is, is experiencing that it needs to detox because something even better than evil is coming to it. For, for generations. The the world felt like evil, pretty good. You got a lot of power out of evil. But there's something even better than evil, and that's Mashiach, and that's the Mishkan, that's the Besamegosh Hashlishi, killing the whole world. And so it looks like the world has to do detox to be able to take the goodies that this Mishkan, basically is ready to give to the world. It's ready to nourish and nurture the world. So now, back to... We're not... We'll, we'll we'll try to sum this up. So who builds this Mishkan? A regular Jew. The building of the Mishkan depends on the donation of every single Jew. Men, women, and even children. Isn't it a simple man? A simple woman? A little child? The kayach to achieve such a chiddush that the Shechina should be in a physical building, and also the Shechina should be, and that mishkan is also inside of each of us. So here's the here's here's the the clincher: we, every single Jew, can build this mishkan, and then as a result, the mishkan is also within every single Jew. Or maybe because the mishkan is within every single Jew. Therefore, every single Jew can build a mishkan because he is a nishkan. If you're a walking nishkan, it doesn't take much to create a nishkan in the physical world. And again, this reality is something that all of the heavens cannot receive and cannot contain. And then there's one other point. Vayithli chuma bringing the donation through this Mishkan has to be Lishmi. Lishma, meaning with the right kavanah. Can't just do it, all right, do what you have to do, but it has to be with a proper intention of holiness. Now, in the Vita Lishma, it does not exist a very holy, you know, pure intention. It's not simple to really get to. And not every Jew is up to that level. Not every man, woman, or child is up to that level, and the Rambam says that if we find that we're not up to doing our service of Hashem in a way of lishma with pure, purest intentions, then we talk shalalishma b'alishma. So the Rambam says the shleimus of avaida is when we do it with with love, not because of reward not because of a punishment, but because it's truth. And he might have did that in the right, and not every chacham is zaychativit. So we're going to end on that, this question. We see now, uh, we have a taste of what this Mishkan is, how huge, how, how the revolution of it, and we realize we have a question, how is it that a simple Jew can be the one who, who's building it. And we're going to end on that question. And then the other question that we're going to answer, hopefully in the next recording, is, what does this all have to do with gold, Zahav? Because that's, that's what the question came from. If the first of all the donations is Zahav, gold... What does it have to do with the person who builds it, and what kind of a person do you have to be, even if you're a simple Jew? What do you have to do to be somebody who has that ability to build this Mishkan, to create this revolution in all of history? What do you have to do? What do you have to be, and how does it all fit together? Hashem. before we start the next recording, we will find ourselves in the ultimate Mishkan, the base, the final Mishkan, the base of Lisa Roshlishi. If Meshia said came, it should be immediately now.